Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Last Sunday, it was my privilege, along with Lindsay Slocum and her family, to go to Austin, Texas, uh, to celebrate the installation of Emily Wright, who was so pivotal in starting this service. So I know it's especially meaningful uh, to some of you that uh, we extended greetings and support. Um, it, it was kind of a bummer for uh, Emily in that she got laryngitis really bad, and she was preaching um, that morning. And so I felt so bad for her. And she's drinking all of this tea and, you know, and she still preached a powerful message. It was really great. And she made it through. But, and as I was sitting there, I kind of got, I got angry at God a little bit. And I was, I said, God, you know, I've been praying for years that she would get laryngitis. (laughs) And, and I, you know, I was kind of like, you know, kind of said something like that to some people and they just kind of looked at me with a blank face. And I, and I thought, oh, Y'all don't know Emily yet. You, you have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. And I just, I'm so excited for a Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, Emily and her ministry. Uh, it's just a great church uh, and she's, it's gonna be phenomenal. But let us continue to keep her, Charlie and the boys in our prayers as they continue um, to transition to Austin into that new community. Last week, Randy uh, kicked off our Outsiders sermon series. He looked at a story about healing, a story about forgiveness. And today we look at a different story, a story where Jesus begins to unsettle and disrupt the assumptions about um, who uh, we should be hanging out with, about who God favors about what's community uh, that would follow Jesus Christ, how it would arrange itself. So let us look now at Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Oh, I also should tell you this. uh, For our children, um, we have a game and there's candy available at the end that Carrie will have for you um, if you can answer this question. The question is, if Jesus is the great doctor, what is the church? Or if Jesus is the great physician, what is the church. And it'll become obvious in about 13 minutes. Okay. Passage from Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this powerful story from Holy Scripture. We ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak to us by your spirit in a way that only you can speak. Speak to our hearts, Lord, that your message might change us and might lead to changing the world. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
most people don't ever grow beyond the school lunchroom. I mean, really, people really don't graduate beyond the high school cafeteria. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I went to a small Christian school. And after my sophomore, sophomore year, I tra tra transitioned to a, a large 2000 member public high school. And I didn't know a soul there. And so I was terrified of the lunch hour. You know, the bell would ring, classes would dismiss, students would flood the hallways, and we would all go to the lunchroom. And I remember walking up and there were these big glass windows. As you're walking down the hall, you could kind of look into the lunchroom. You could see the cafeteria. You'd see the people sitting at the tables. And I remember thinking, oh, over, over there's the football player table. I don't have enough muscle to sit over there. And, and I really would like to sit with the cheerleaders, but I know they wouldn't want me sitting there. And, and there are the skateboard kids, but I have terrible balance, so I can't sit there. And there are the goth kids, and I, I don't have enough black eyeliner and black clothes to sit there. And it, the anxiety I would feel, where am I going to sit? Who are my people? Who will accept me? You know, I thought it would change after I graduated. But then I go to college, go into the college cafeteria, same thing. Who can I sit with? Who's going to accept me? Where are my people? And then I think, okay, I'll, I'll join a fraternity. And I join a fraternity for my brothers. But you go into the fraternity lunchroom, same thing. Who am I going to sit with? Those guys don't like me. Can't sit over there. Where are my people? I, I eventually got a corporate job and going into the corporate cafeteria. Same thing. Where are my people? Does anybody like me? I remember, I finally figured out, I just took a book and I was like, I'm gonna sit by myself and pretend like I'm reading. <laughs> but this is a problem that plagues us. Who are my people? Who can I sit with? Meal times are what some people call social theater. We see a lot about how a society or, or how a community is organized by who is eating together. And if it is this way for us, it was so much more important in ancient times. So much more important. It said an important thing. Who you ate with said a lot about you. And so Jesus surprises everyone by going to eat with tax collectors and sinners. He goes to eat with tax collectors and sinners. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Jesus surprises everybody as he's walking down the road. He goes to the tax booth, speaks to a man called Matthew and says, follow me. And we don't get any of the reasons why, but Matthew gets up and follows him. And Matthew follows Jesus and goes over to dinner a house where they're having dinner, a meal with other tax collectors and sinners. And the surprising thing is not that the tax collectors and sinners are all together eating together. The surprising thing is that Jesus is there with them. I mean, even for us, 
How many of you have an IRS agent as your best friend? No. And I, I apologize if there are any IRS agents here. <laughs> but this, I mean, this is just true. And tax collectors were social outcasts in the ancient world. They were, they, they were it, was, it was really tough for them because what they would do is they would buy contracts from the Roman imperial occupiers to collect taxes. So they would pay money for these contracts and then they would go out and collect the taxes. And they found their profit margin in charging more to their Jewish fellow citizens than they paid for the contracts. And any business person can tell that you can make more money the more you charge. And so there was a real tension there. You could enrich yourself by exploiting your fellow Jewish citizens. And there was quite a lot of animosity towards tax collectors because they were seen as betraying the Jewish people. And also because they were Relig uh, religiously and ritualistically unclean because they would associate with Gentiles, which Romans were. And so tax collectors were despised. They were lower on the social ladder than lepers. Than lepers. You could not say tax collector without spitting. Like tax collector. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. You should have seen it in the historic sanctuary. <laughs> Jesus had dinner with tax collectors and sinners. I'm, you would not associate. And there goes the savior of the world to dine. The most perfect human being that's ever lived to eat with sinners and tax collectors. And this dinner party has an audience. Dinner party has an audience. As I was meeting with my community group this week, we were talking about this situation. It was kind of humorous as we were thinking about it. How did the Pharisees see that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners? Did they kind of come up to the window? Oh my goodness, can you believe this? Or, or, or did they do one of these games where they'd go up to knock on the door, kind of look in, oh, sorry, wrong house. Or, or did they walk by, kind of giving a side eye? as they continue to pass by the window. Can you believe it? Jesus, this religious teacher is eating with sinners and tax collectors. See, the, the Pharisees are not happy about this fact because at mealtime, it shows you a lot about how a community is organized. So at the meal, you see something about status, who is important and who is not important. See, questions of purity. Who is pure? Who's impure? Who's really religious and who isn't? Who's irreligious? It was against the Pharisees' self-interest to have this social ladder challenged because they were on top. They were valuable. They were pure. They were religious. And now here Jesus goes in and is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so these Pharisees, they see this happening and they go over to Jesus' disciples and they ask him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you can imagine the disciples going, I've got no idea. I thought it was a bad idea. I don't even want to be here. Why? Because they don't even say it. Jesus hears them and then intervenes and he offers an answer. 
And he gives a parable, he quotes from scripture, and then he gives an elevator speech. First, the parable. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The sick are, who, are the people who need a physician. And this seems like common sense reasoning. It seems like common sense. Those who are sick need a physician. They're the ones that need to be healed. And Jesus is highlighting this fact. Now, those of us who have maybe um, been influenced by Jesus' teaching, Christianity for some time, might take this for granted, that the sick are the ones who need healing. So for instance, there's, um, there's what I'm gonna call Darwinian fundamentalism, okay? Darwinian fundamentalism is a belief that is fairly prominent in our culture, even if some people don't even know what it is, um, that Darwinian evolution necessarily leads to social Darwinism. Darwin, Darwinian evolution basically says that animals and uh, adapt according to their environment so they can survive. And so we see that only the strong survive and that the weak are weeded out. They die off. Survival of the fittest. And so folks observe this. This is the way it works in nature. And so then they make a connection and they say, so this is how we should organize our, ourselves and our society. That only the strong, only the powerful, only the healthy should survive. I think we see some of this logic in this um, tragic shooting in New Zealand, you know, where we see so much animosity expressed towards immigrants, minorities. It's this idea to exploit those who are sick, those who are, um, who are maybe weaker than the powerful. Well, that may be the way it works in nature, but that's not the way it works in the kingdom of heaven. That's not the, the way that Jesus says it ought to work. That's not the kind of vision he has for the world. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. It's those who are sick who need the physician. Jesus came for the sick, not for the healthy. He came to, to help those who needed help, who need help. I think we all at some point will come to a place where we know we need help. Let me tell you a little, a little story about one of probably the greatest theological controversies and fights in the history of the Christian church. Happened in the fourth century between a guy by the name of Pelagius and a bishop in North Africa named Augustine. Okay. Pelagius taught, and he was trying to be a Christian, but this was his interpretation of Holy Scripture. He said, it is possible for human beings to be perfect on their own to try really hard to be perfect in this life. He says, you just have to work and try really hard. And so he said that a, that a church is like a gymnasium where people have to train up and work really hard to become perfect on their own. So, so some of the slogans for a Pelagian is try harder or God helps those who help themselves. And Augustine says, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. And he said that the human will is so broken that we cannot choose to be good except by God's grace. God allows us, heals us so that we can be made good. He said, the church is not like a gymnasium. The church is like a hospital. The church is a hospital 
where the great physician is. And so those who are broken, those who are sick are invited into the hospital to be healed. See, we're not trying to train up to become like theological ninjas. No, we're, we're coming to meet the physician to heal the sin-sick soul. Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. The healthy are left outside the party. The tax collectors, the sinners, those who are not well are invited in. So he begins with a parable. Then he quotes from his Bible, what we consider the Old Testament. He says, go and learn what this means. And then he quotes a scripture. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I know you all know, like I know, that he's quoting from Hosea 6. Yeah, me too. I had to look it up. And, and, so, and so Jesus says, Hosea, quoting from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now in Hosea 6, Hosea is this great prophet and he's bringing a word of judgment, but he's bringing a word of judgment in light of God's healing work. So he's trying to hold these two ideas together that God judges sin, and our, um, but he comes to heal our brokenness. The whole point is to heal. So for instance, he says, and this is in the first verse, come, let us return to the Lord. For it is he who is torn and he will heal us. He has struck down and he will bind us up. See, Hosea is saying God wants to heal us and to bind us. Yes, we've been struck down. Yes, we've been broken, but God's ultimate purposes are to heal. And Jesus highlights this fact that, that he's come to heal. Now in Hosea 6.3, Hosea also says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. On the third day, he will raise us up. Who was raised on the third day? Jesus. This is clearly in the New Testament writers' minds. They know about Hosea, this great prophecy that when we receive ultimate healing is on the day of Jesus' resurrection. When we see that God's healing purposes are for life. As Karl Barth used to say, God's no is always wrapped in a much bigger yes. God comes to heal. He's to heal the broken, to make healthy, to heal the sick. And so we have a parable, a scripture, and then we have an elevator speech. And an elevator speech is the kind of speech you can give on an elevator ride. And in the first century, elevator rides were really short because Jesus only used 10 words. And an elevator speech answers the question, why are you here? What do you care about? What is your mission? And Jesus says this, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. See, just in the previous verse, when he quotes from Hosea, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This word sacrifice is a religious action. It's something we do to establish our place before God, to justify ourselves in a way. So we do this in all sorts of ways today. Maybe coming to church, serving, tithing. We do all these things sometimes to justify ourselves before God. But Jesus is saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, he says, I've come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. See, what he's saying here is, 
You can't justify yourself before God. You simply receive God's grace. And then as you come to church, then as you tithe, then as you serve, that is a response to God's grace. That's an act of gratitude. That's an act of joy. But we don't try to earn it. It's been given to us in Jesus Christ. He came not for those who are righteous, but those who recognized that they were sinners. As Paul says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus goes into this party to flip the tables, to flip the social ladder, to show how things are reconceived and re-understood in light of what God has done in Jesus Christ. I came to heal the broken, feed the hungry. I came not for the righteous, but those who are sinners. And if you were here during our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, you know how high the bar is and which one of us cannot fall at the foot of the cross and say, I am a sinner. But you're a sinner who's been invited to the party. As soon as you recognize you're a sinner, oh, yeah, that's right, Jesus came for me. If I see sinners out there, don't worry, Jesus came for them too. He came not for the righteous, not for the healthy, but for the sick and the sin, sinful among us. I close with a little story that happened this past week. In my community group that I'm hosting here uh, with the staff at church, I, I began our conversation this week by asking a question. I said, have any of you ever been invited to a party that you were surprised to be invited to? Somewhere that you wanted to go, but you knew you weren't gonna get invited, but then you did get invited. One of the ministry assistants, she says, yeah, I, I do remember Jeff, it was a few years ago. I said, tell me about it. She says, well, at that time, there was a pastor on staff named Brad Clayton and Brad was marrying Julianne and everybody wanted to go to this wedding. It was gonna be a great party, a great celebration. Everybody wanted to go and I knew I wasn't gonna get invited. She says, but then one day I go out to the mailbox and inside it is the golden ticket. I got invited to Julianne and Brad's wedding. I couldn't believe it. I said, I said, how did it make you feel? And, and I kid you not, she begins to well up with tears in her eyes. She says, I felt so valued. I felt so important. I was so blown away that I would get invited in. Oh, it meant the world to me. That's how we should feel when we meet Jesus, that we've been invited in. Jesus says, come on, let's go to dinner. Let's go to the party. Who, me? Are you kidding? Yeah, yes, even you, come on. We're going to the party. We're in it together. Wait, I thought, I thought church was a gymnasium for, for theological ninjas, for saints. No, it's a hospital for those who are sick, for those who have a sin-sick soul, who, who need to receive healing. So let's remember that. Let's remember that Jesus came for the sick and the broken. He came for the sinners. He came for the outsiders. So let's also remember that we've been invited to the party. So let's join him. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have invited us in, no matter what our sin, no, no matter how broken we are, that you have invited us to the table. We thank you so much for your grace and your love. 
that it says more than all of our sin can, that we've invited to be healed by the great physician. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.